ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Monday, December 11th edition of the program, 94.3 The Game. It's a new week, and what better way to kick it off than with a big-time in-studio guest. We've got East Carolina Director of Athletics, John Gilbert, back on the program. John, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Nothing going on, right? As uh, not a lot. <laughs> yeah. we got plenty to get to, which we will talk about. We are live on YouTube, Facebook. If you guys want to send in a question, uh, we will do our best to get to that over the next hour. And looking forward to this chat with John Gilbert. Well, first off, how are things going? Uh, just over at, inside the Ward Sports Medicine Building, wrapping up you know, the 2023 calendar year, getting close to it. How are things going for ECU right now? You, you know, I think they're going well. We, we obviously um, you know, did well with uh, both soccer and volleyball with, with where we wrapped up. Uh, I do think um, you know, all of the changes uh, over the last you know, two, three weeks w- within football has – you know, stabilized and, and given some hope, uh, you, you know, for, for better days. So uh feel good about where we are. We have a lot of questions, at least when I announced that you were coming on the show about the new NCAA proposal from, yeah. uh, you know, the new president, which we'll get into here shortly. But I do want to start with with football. And you addressed it, a lot of this in your, you know, state of the pirate address, which you do at the end of every football season. And if you could kind of reiterate the message there, two and 10, not what anybody wants, not what Mike Houston wants yourself. So kind of, maybe what were the conversations like towards the end of the year between you and Coach Houston in, in terms of addressing this, trying to, you know, get football back on track? Well, first, I'd say like Coach Houston and I, <clears throat> we pretty much talk during the season at least once a day. Um, Usually it's multiple times, and so we're constantly talking about uh, the program. And, you know, I really felt like at the end of the day, what we are, he gives us, Coach Houston gives us our best chance to, to flip this narrative. And, you know, I could go multiple games and talk about how close we were. And, you know, we really were. Um you know, SMU, Marshall, Tulane, Tulsa, you know, really close. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it was, um, you know, we didn't score enough points. Uh, and, and so I felt like the, the best thing – and I also l- looked at it from a locker room, culture – you know, inside the building, all those things are really good. So I, I you know, certainly supported uh, Coach Houston and the staff and, and uh, know that better days are ahead. Yeah, it was no secret that the defense played well for most of the year. The offense struggled. Coach Houston made the change. Stoney Kirkpatrick, you know, longtime Pirate, stepping aside, and John David Baker coming in as the new offensive coordinator. What are kind of your early impressions of him, and do you feel like Coach Houston early on made the right hire, the right decision bringing in a new coordinator? Well, I think it was the right decision, and and I do like uh, if you look at where Ole Miss is in the football world, 
uh, and and I realized they had a really good year at, at uh, ten and two this year and, and did some good things offensively. The the thing that uh, I liked was their profile, and if you look at the SEC West, you know you got Alabama, Auburn, uh, LSU, Texas A and M. Like on a typical year, they are starting out in in probably fifth place. And for them to to do what they did, and it tells me that they've got to do a better job of evaluating talent, and they don't have the same NIL as those other schools. And so uh, that profile interests me. When you look at ECU right now, and you, you know Coach Houston, his staff, they're all over the country recruiting. They're trying to figure out what's real, what's not in this NIL case. You know, Team Boneyard trying to do its best to, to raise money. You know, do you feel like ECU and the NIL infrastructure is is improving, getting to where it needs to be, or is there still a gap there to where the Pirates need to get to? No, I, I feel really good about Team Boneyard and, and where we are compared to our peers. Like, um, I don't, you know, I certainly don't think we're at the top of our league, and I don't think we're at the bottom. You know, we're probably in the middle uh, to upper middle third of, of – you know other schools in our league and and i think a lot of it is there is a lot of lying going on uh as it relates to nil and certainly there are some really big deals out there that uh student athletes are getting but i had another ad in our league tell me a story about uh he was sitting with another ad and both in our league so two ADs and two football coaches in our league are sitting together, and one of the football coaches asked the other, hey, uh, what is your highest student athlete, uh, what, what is he on in an NIL deal? And the coach said, oh, my, our highest athlete is on a $100,000 deal. And so they finished, and the next morning the AD, my friend, said, hey, why why'd you lie to the other coach? <laughs> And he said, "We don't. We don't have our whole NIL may not be a hundred thousand. And he said, "I didn't want that other coach to look at our team and think that he yeah. could easily go in and buy a player. And so, NIL is really important. It is taking place. It's got to be a part of the discussion. But but I'd also say it's somewhere in the middle of the road because there is a lot of lying that's going on as well. Yeah, and you don't have to publicly document any of this stuff. So no. it's, it's you, nobody really knows what's real, what's not. So it isn't it interesting scenario. Uh, speaking of that, all right, let's get into this new proposal that was sent forth I, this was sent to all division one teams yeah uh, uh yes all division one all uh, division one ncaa okay uh the ncaa and the president sent a proposal uh that was made public and you've been talking about this you, you felt like something like this was coming so you probably got wind of this uh maybe a few weeks ago if not before then but proposal sent forth from the ncaa kind of saying hey there's a chance for a new subdivision within Division One that would basically require teams to pay what every student athlete thirty thousand or fifty percent of all student athletes thirty thousand dollars, and the money would have to be split equally between the men and women according to the Title Nine. So, yeah, when you saw this, when you first laid your eyes on it, what was your reaction? Well, I do think some sort of I don't really want to term it a split. I think there's going to be a upper tier in Division One, and and if I had, I'm spitballing uh, a number of teams. It's probably going to be somewhere around 40 teams or so that 
are going to operate more like a professional franchise. But but I'd also caution everyone with this, like what what I saw that they proposed, like the bottom third teams in the Southeastern Conference could not afford to do what they're proposing. So we're talking about the upper crest of all of Division One athletics. And I think the 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 most disappointing thing for me, I don't I don't think the model will ever go away where we don't play those schools. So I think there'll still be the opportunity to play them. And I think this is three to four years away. This is not something that's happened happening immediately. There are a lot of good schools that will get left out because they just can't afford to do this. So you're you're talking about budgets that are a hundred million north of a hundred million dollars to to do this. Uh, ECU's currently at forty five million. I want to I want to make sure that we are all talking to one another and the rest of us are determining what our best path forward is because there there are going to be a lot of schools uh, that provide meaningful experiences to their student athletes and I want to make sure that we develop the model that's good for us. So right now with this uh, again this is just a proposal. Initial proposal doesn't mean it's going for going forward or going final but this is something that would be very tough for East Carolina to to match or to be a part of. Uh, you know I've had a lot of talk on hoist the colors or other avenues hey if we put all our money together, we could find a way into this realm. Is that realistically not a possibility, you think? Not, not a possibility. No, just look, too look, much money. Look, like, again, what what they are talking about, again, if you go back to the top 40 schools, and let's use the ACC, you, you're talking about three or four ACC schools. You're not talking about everybody. Right. Uh, they, they uh, you know, in in all of one A division football, let's call it a hundred and thirty schools. About twenty five of them operate in the black. The rest operate in the red. So, in order for them to do this, they would either have to drop a large number of sports or radically change their business model. I, I am all for the the student athletes getting more. And again, when I make this comment, I'm talking about the upper tier of Division One athletics. And let's pick a school. I'm just picking random Ohio State. They make all of their money on football and men's basketball. And so if they go to this exact model that was proposed, um, you're paying half, minimum half of the athletes, 30000 All of the money at schools like that is made off of football and men's basketball. You're going to get a lawsuit like the next day from football and men's basketball players that say um, – I want to share in the revenue that I generate. I don't want to share it with the field hockey team. So I don't want to share in that. Like you're taking money that we're, we're helping generate. So I think there are a lot of pitfalls in what was, um, proposed. I think it was a starting point to start the discussion. My biggest point will be let, let the top 30 or 40 go. Um, you know, they can do some things financially that, you know, the rest of us can't do. And when I say the rest of us, it's a I, lot of schools, it's a lot of schools, a lot of good schools, a lot mm-hmm. of big name schools that you go, oh, my gosh, they, they can afford to do that. No, they can't. Uh, they're, they're operating in the red and, you know, barely, you know, getting by right now. 
So I, I want to make sure there's uh, leadership and organization for the rest of us where we determine what our model looks like moving forward. And this, it, it does feel like there's almost going to be an NFL, a semi-pro, and then, I don't know, college football. Like, that's that's kind of how it feels. I don't yeah, know. I, don't, I don't necessarily look at it like that, yeah. but I do think that upper tier – they are the ones that are driving all the revenue. Right. And and so they want to be able to do things a little differently and the the rest of us financially are not in that uh same uh sandbox that they are. What do you you know, and this may be looking too far in the future, but do you feel like it's reasonable the NCAA and clearly they're putting out this proposal because they're trying to keep these schools in the NCAA realm. You know, there's all this talk, hey, the SEC uh, wants to break away or these big Big Ten schools want to break away. Do you feel like it's possible the NCAA can keep these schools in their branch or is that going to be tough to do long term? Well, I think they're going to have to navigate with these bigger schools because I, I think the first real shot over the bow that got the attention of everyone nationally, and, and most people are not even tracking this, nor should they be, uh, but it, it is significant in my mind. You, you know, um, the NCAA tournament is with uh, CBS, and um, they pay a lot of money to broadcast it. Well, the NCAA also, um, it's probably, gosh, 15 years ago, could be more than that. They bought the NIT. So the NCA owns the NIT kind of as their second tournament. Well, Fox is talking about putting together a tournament for the teams that don't make the NCA and they will pay them, you know, to go to Las Vegas and do this tournament. Well, it it really would fracture a lot of things. And so I think that they're trying to figure out the financial component of it. Um it, th- there's a lot of work to do, though. I I do think something will happen in the next three years. I don't think it's going to happen in the next two. It just seems like a giant mess uh, from the top down to try and figure out. And you mentioned all the lawsuits that could be involved just due to Title IX, other other reasons. Uh, you know, given the the landscape of the revenue. Uh, and, and that's the, the thing I get the most is, hey, at least don't mess up the NCAA tournament because everybody loves the tournament and everybody has, you can say, maybe not a fair, fair shot, but you still get the auto bids. Every conference has a fair yeah. shot. And if you mess that up, then it's like, what, you know, what's even the point of it? Yeah, no, agree 100%. And, and I don't see that completely going away. There, there's too much uh, at stake and everybody in the country loves watching St. Peter play Kentucky. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's what the tournament is all about. That's what people remember the most. And so, all right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We got some questions about scheduling NIL and more. We can also hit more on this topic as the show goes on. Let's get a break in. We'll come right back. This is Monday on Hoist the Colors. We'll be right back. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this? On 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors. On a Monday, we've got ECU Athletics Director, John Gilbert in studio. Uh, we are live on YouTube, Facebook. If you've got a question, drop it there. We'll get to it. And uh, let's get into scheduling. We always talk about it with you, John, whenever you're in studio or have a chance to talk with you. Um, first, John Moody, South Carolina, was in town on Saturday for the basketball game. And Ray Tanner was there as well, the South Carolina AD. John wants to know if you were able to talk to Ray this weekend about continuing football and basketball scheduling with the, the Gamecocks. 
Yeah, I've um, you know I've known Ray for a long time. I uh, worked in the SEC for you know twenty three plus years, um, and we are we'll, we will go to Columbia next year. This was a three game series, and and I do want to applaud Coach Schwartz. Like uh, you know, scheduling philosophies with basketball coaches. We've had some that have absolutely no interest in playing those types of games, and, and I think it was the first time a Power Five opponent had been in Menjis in quite a long, a time. long time. First SEC opponent in twenty one years yeah. in Menjis. And, and so uh, I want to applaud Coach Schwartz for scheduling like that. We do play the Gators in Ga- uh, Lakeland, Florida, mm-hmm. my hometown. You going to uh, be there? I'm going to be there. Right. Uh, not going to miss it. I'm getting more ticket requests than I would like. Uh, all these people that I haven't seen in a long time. <laughs> so there should uh, be a big contingent of Pirate fans. There, there, there'll be some Pirates uh-huh. uh, there. Um, so we play South Carolina in Columbia next year in football – uh, we play in Columbia in 27. 27 yeah. Now we're we're looking at that. There could be some tweaks to that. The game wouldn't go away. We're mm-hmm. we're looking at if if it's a better date for it. Uh, but but those types of games are important. We are tweaking the football schedule a little bit. Um, you know, feel good about where it is. But it it's something that I do daily. Is you know, look and talk uh, scheduling. I wanted to ask you a little bit about basketball scheduling as a follow-up just because I get a lot of questions about it. And I've heard mixed results on or mixed things on what's allowed as far as the American schools. Are, so are American schools allowed to play like a bye game like at UNC? Like is that something you yeah, should do? Yeah, we, we could play them. And like what, Coach Schwartz is open to doing that. Okay. Like it's not like we're not calling and going, hey, we're interested in doing this. And – Basketball scheduling is different than football in that you have, uh, you know, quads one, two, three, and four. And if, if you talk to basketball coaches, mostly what they want to do is they want to play quad one and two or four. Like if, if we're going to play, um, you know, a, a quad one game. We're going to play North Carolina. That's a quad one game. You want to balance that with playing a quad four. They're going to kind of balance each other out. Quad three games are really tough because usually it's a good enough opponent that they can beat you. So teams try to stay away from quad three type games for that reason. And and so the better we get – the better scheduling that we will be open to. Like like teams will go, hey, we want to play them. Even if we were to lose the game, it's a quad two loss. It's it's not going to hurt our schedule. So the the better we continually to get on the floor, the better our scheduling will be. And Coach Schwartz has done a good job of, you know, home and home with George Mason. Uh the the I think two for one with UNCW. So they'll be here again next year. The game of florida uh the the south carolina series so he's done a really good job i I always get the question hey what can ecu do you know right now you're six and four which isn't a bad record but your net's in the 260 so what can ecu do to put itself in better position for postseason play is that just you know find a way to to win more games schedule better as a result of that well i i think when you lose a game like a south carolina upstate it it really does stay with you for a while like you know you you need a win down the road of of a, a good team to kind of offset. offset that. Now, 
uh, us beating Wilmington and then Wilmington beating Kentucky, that will carry with us for a while. So um, we've got a we've got to do a better job with those games. Like when you lose a game like that, it really can hurt. But I do feel good about when we get into conference play and start, you know. Uh, you get more wins that that net will come down alright let's look at the football schedule as well and I don't know if you have it pulled up John but you got a lot of future games already on the books and always get asked the question about are there any home and homes with power five schools in the near future uh, starting in 2025 you guys will go to state and then they're scheduled to come back in 28 you know West Virginia is scheduled to come here in 26 BYU scheduled to come here in 25. Are those games still on as far as you know? Yeah, all, okay. all of those are, are still on. Um, you know, we've got to get a couple SCS opponents. Obviously, we're interested in, you know, playing a Power 5 home-and-home. Home. Now, I, I can just tell you it it is getting near impossible to get them to come to Greenville. Uh, now, uh, we're going to continue to work at it. Uh, but you could see in the future, I think we're with NC State in 28 is our last Power 5 game scheduled right now. Uh, we're looking in 29. 29 could be a bye game year where we go on the road somewhere uh, in a bye game. Getting people to come to Greenville is near impossible, and it's like that for every group of five school. Like The longer we go into this, uh, the, the the harder it's going to be. They'll play us in a bye game. Uh, and, and then the other thing we'll look at is some neutral site uh, opportunities. I think I've asked this before, but are, are schools in that realm, are they, are they offering like a two-for-one opportunity? Is that something you would entertain, or do you still not want to go that route? You, you know, we, we can talk about that. I don't love two-for-ones. Just because you know you you go to their place twice, you're an underdog two times, mm-hmm. like and right. usually a significant underdog. Is, is it worth it getting you know that one game in Greenville? Um, obviously, I do like home and homes, and I don't mind being bought uh, every now and then. Uh, you you want to find balance in your schedule where you you have the opportunity to win some games going into. Um, you know, conference play. Uh, John wants to know to tag onto the scheduling talk. Does Marshall owe a home game for the 2020 COVID game that was canceled? So was that made up this past year, or was that? Do you know if that was? No, the the Marshall game. Uh, they they still there. There's still a game to play, and okay. we were going to go there. We actually have moved that game. Uh, that we we will not play that game. Uh, we both owed each other one. Uh, and I think they wanted to get a bye game uh, in that year. So we're we're working on uh, some new opponents. So 25, it looks like y'all are scheduled to go to Marshall. That basically just won't won't happen. That That's correct. Okay. Do you feel like that's a series? And I always get App State, too. Is App State a series you could continue? They're scheduled to come here in 24 and 26 as well. Yeah, D- Doug and I, the the athletic director at App, he and I have talked uh, about extending that. I think that's a good series for us. I like it. Uh, obviously, they're a really good football program. Uh, we get them here this year. I'm certainly interested in extending that. Cameron says we should play Duke and Wake Forest in football. So Wake is on the schedule for 27-28 as a home-and-home Duke, do they show any interest when you call them? Uh, uh, again, not not home and home. Right. You, you know, we'll, we'll and 
the the thing about you if you go for a buy game there is a wide difference of what people pay like you could go to some schools in the Big Ten, and they're going to pay you about 800000 which I would tell you is not worth our time. Uh, others, like Michigan, will pay one eight to $2 million. Well, there are only a handful of schools that pay that much, you, you know, and so you have to decide, you know, what you're looking for in a buy game. Um, you, you know, you just want to be careful with them, but um, – Certainly, we're interested in playing all of the in-state Division One schools. Duke is interesting because at least, again, when I was smaller as a child growing up, you would go to those games and ECU fans would take over that stadium. I don't know what it would be like now because it's been so long since they've played, but I guess – you you know, ideally, you'd want to get a home and home there. You know, and just go play at Duke. Yeah, I, ideally, and yeah. and honestly, we would be open to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, they haven't been as uh, interested. Uh, w- with that, and y- you know, I get both sides. It, it, you know, on one side, you go, "Why don't you all play each other?" Y- you know, you're right there in their backyard. But then you look at some of the scheduled games that the in-state schools have had, and, and they're doing a home and home with, y- you know, UConn. And I think a lot of it is they don't want to lose the game and hear from their fan base that they you know, lost to ECU, they would rather say, hey, we we lost to UConn or, you know, pick a school. Right. So it it is very, very difficult uh, and is getting harder. Have there been any talks, uh, and you have, you know, not shied away from scheduling regionally, of course, you know, you guys added Liberty. And uh, have there been any talks with like a school like Coastal Carolina as well? Are they another program that you would be interested in? Yes. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe there's an announcement on the horizon. Coming soon. <laughs> right, there you go. Um, Cameron says, I'll be fine with playing Duke because it would be a home game for ECU. I guess he's saying they would take it over. So, hey, if we can get him to answer the phone, John, maybe we can make it happen. Uh, last question here. We'll get another break in. David wants to know, did you know the Spencer Rattler was going to make a cameo at the basketball game this past weekend? I thought he was going to announce he was transferring to ECU. Yeah, so there was some confusion over that. Um, I guess you you definitely were made aware, of course, after it went or before it went on the uh, the big screen. And I honestly thought it was it was fun both ways, uh-huh. both before and after the game. Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming you were made aware of that. Yeah, I I saw it. Um, I think one of our staff members reached out on the the social media platform. Uh, cameo, cameo. Yep. And uh, I'm not on Cameo. Um, <laughs> you cannot and, find John Gilbert on Cameo. And he, uh, you know, he he did that. I, I think it's one of those, you, you know, not something I want to get into doing every time. And, you know, they it was played, I think, with the intent of no one being on the court. Uh, South Carolina ran on, and I think people started posting it. So, um, you know we'll look at those things as they continue probably not the the my favorite thing to do all the time yeah you know it was it was so unexpected i thought it was good and then you know if ecu would have won the game but south carolina wouldn't have been able to say anything unfortunately spencer rattler got the last laugh but i thought it was a you know good social media thing a little back and forth well it it was um it was done in in uh fun and uh you know, not not a harmful thing, but not something I want to do every time either. 
Uh, one thing, Jay, just chiming on Facebook, and I, I don't know if there's a way you guys can control this at all. He says App State made the ECU game in Boone very expensive to attend. He wants to know the tickets weren't great in the end zone. Is there a better way to negotiate better tickets and better pricing? Or is that just all on App State's end if it's their game? Yeah, like when when you go on the road uh, to an uh, to an opposing team, you are getting the worst tickets. So you're usually getting lower level end zone and upper deck, and and no, there is no way around it. It'd be, you know, unless uh, unless they decide to buy a season ticket, you, you know, you're you're if you're coming as a visiting team, you're going to get end zone and upper deck uh, as your best seats. All right, he is John Gilbert. Let's get a break in. We'll come back. Uh, we got a question on the Pirates Unite campaign. We'll get to we'll get the latest on the indoor practice facility, and we'll talk some NIL as well. We got a couple questions on that. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Ico. the game. Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on a Monday. We've got East Carolina director of athletics john gilbert and john let's talk a little bit about the pirates unite campaign the ongoing campaign there we got a couple of questions on that and also just um we'll start first with the general update How, how's the campaign going as we near the end of 2023 you know campaign's going well uh, i think on the indoor building we're at about 15 and a half million i think the building is going to be somewhere between let's call it right around 25 million now i think we'll get some gifting kind that will knock that price down some so i'd say we're somewhere eight to ten million away uh we've got multiple ask out of some big gifts that i think to come to fruition so we're, we're chipping away at that pretty nicely um <clears throat> baseball uh again going well uh, you know i feel good about uh where we are uh with that project as well just need to try to close some of those out and it's a lot like if if you look at our our fan base and people that are, you know, buying tickets and joining the Pirate Club and uh, helping with the campaign, uh, it, it is remarkable what our fan base is doing. And it's a it's a big, bold campaign, and, and also Team Boneyard is trying to raise the NIL funds. So there, there's a lot for fans to, to give to right now, and, and a lot is being asked of East Carolina fans, as is every fan base in the country. How do you feel like Pirate fans have answered that challenge, at least in trying to terms of – What's most important? How do we decide what to give to right now? Yeah, well, I, I look at from you know a lot from a building standpoint. You know, we're renovating and adding at baseball. Obviously, football. Uh, the indoor building would be a new building that all our sports teams would have access to. I think once that building is done, uh, you, you know, we're not building a whole lot more. You know, like we're we've kind of got our footprint uh we'll just be in a renovation and upkeep mode and so uh nil is really important uh we're only as good as the players we have and so i've i've said all along if if you have an extra dollar and you're trying to figure out where to to put it uh i would say put it to team boneyard and, and nil um to to help uh ecu have have the best roster that they can have and I think it's important for people to understand, and I said this in my press conference uh, at the end of the year, 
you are rebuilding your roster every year. So, um, and it affects sports in a different way. I would say football and men's basketball are probably the worst in that, you know, there there is usually a lot of turnover in those two sports. And so those two coaches really need to f- think more like a NFL general manager and a, and a NBA general manager because, you know, I promise you right now, if, uh, you know, we didn't have uh, a point guard, coaches thinking, okay, I need this much money to go into the portal and get a, uh, to get a point guard. And, and that's really the new world that we live in. Yeah, I mean, if you're Coach Houston, you got to be thinking about a quarterback or John David Baker for sure. Uh, Bobby's got a question on that topic. Why has NIL shifted so quickly from av- advertising opportunities for businesses to having individuals donate money and fundraise? I mean, it, it feels like the original NCAA NIL plan didn't even make it one year, which is kind of – that was the intent of it, and somehow we have gotten to this deal where we're trying to raise money as collectives to pay rosters. Yeah, it, it is um – you know, the best answer to that is how the market shifted. Like the intent of NIL is, you know, a, a player benefits off his name, image, and likeness. And if uh, the quarterback or the point guard, that they could partner with a local restaurant and the restaurant pays them to, you know, tweet out, hey, I'm going to eat dinner here on Monday night. Come down and see me. You know, the, the restaurant benefits, you know, because they get increased revenue and they share that with it makes uh, the student athlete. Well, uh, w- what we're in now is basically pay for play. Um, Which is what the rule was not intended th- for. Yes. It, it's, a, it's a mess. Like, it is a unfiltered mess. And, and so what's happened is uh, all these people are out forming collectives and, and – Going, hey, we we need to try to to you know pay these players to keep them because all these other schools are calling to get them to leave, and so it it still is on you know businesses can still partner with our student athletes, uh, but individuals as well, and most schools, not all, most schools have gone the individual route where where donors are helping fund these collectives. And that, I mean, it's, if your peers are doing it and you're not, then you're at a major disadvantage. So everybody has to do it. Uh, Bobby also wants to know across the country, do you foresee NIL funding decreasing after donors realize they are not getting a potential return on investment? It feels the pendulum went from no money to a massive swing to NIL and needs to balance out. So I don't know. I feel like it's right for right now, it's still going up across the country. Do you feel like at some point? that return on investment won't be there and it goes down? Well, well, I think you are seeing across the board, it depends on the institution. So last year, you know, obviously steady coming off a, 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 you know, a bowl trip and a bowl win, you know, we felt, you know, pretty good about where we were. Obviously not the season that we wanted, but I think everyone recognizes that, Hey, what, the only way out of this is to increase NIL to attract, you know, a, a different roster. But you're also going to see teams that have had a really good year this year, and 
they don't have the NIL funds and they lose a lot of, you know, student athletes to the portal and they can't go attract them. And so I think every year, again, particularly in football, men's basketball, you're going to see some rosters that you're going to go, oh my gosh, this school was really good this year and look how bad they are this year. And I think it's the correlation is going to be NIL and the transfer portal. We have the discussion about NIL versus, you know, facilities funding a lot. I'll be first to say, look, I mean, ECU as an institution way behind on the indoor practice facility should have been done 15, 10, 15 years ago. You guys are having to do it now because, you know, nobody has done it before. Uh, and I've gotten the question too, hey, why doesn't ECU just go to like a bubble structure and save money? and then put it all towards NIL. And that's kind of a, a complicated question or answer. So what's what, kind of your take what, on that? What, well, a couple things. One, we've raised more money for the indoor building than we raised for the tower. Um, it's pretty crazy. It, it's crazy. <laughs> and and uh, you you look at the tower, we, we've got a lot of bonding. You know, we bonded a lot. You know, basically, we took out a loan on on the tower, so we're we're making those yearly payments uh, on the tower, and that'll continue for a while. That will continue for the next four or five athletic directors, uh, <laughs> at least. And coupled with, you know, we we've got to pull our full weight on the indoor building. Like there are a lot of schools that have not raised near the money that we've raised that are going out there and they're they're borrowing the money to build their indoor building and you're going to see some other schools that uh either are peers or a level below us that will do that you know our issue has been you know we've got this big payment uh on the tower so we've got to you know raise more money than what that is when you get into a bubble look let Obviously, cold and heat are important to have an indoor space. I, I really would argue in eastern North Carolina, the, the biggest piece is lightning. And I don't believe you can go into the bubble during lightning. And that's really what what we need it for. Uh, if, if, if you said you need it for one reason, I would say we, we need it when, when there's storms and we can still practice. And, and so bubble... Uh, you can't really do that. And and then the other piece is if you've seen schools with bubbles, they're they're not exactly aesthetically pleasing. And I saw one at Rice that wasn't very. Yeah, I would say our 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 athletic campus. Like I am very pleased with the way it looks. Uh, I get people all the time that have never been here. They come in for an athletic event and they go. Holy smokes, man! You 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 all have a very nice athletic footprint, and, and we do. Uh, we have a lot of things that a lot of schools don't have. Uh, we just need to figure out how to get this last push to to get the building built. Graham says, "Is ECU getting our return for the Town Bank Tower?" Which I believe you guys sold out once again this year. So how, yeah, how so, that going? sold out the last two years, and and. Uh, it is by and large funding itself now. Okay. Uh, what was not initially, but um, you know, it, for the Tulsa game, you know, going into that game only having won two games, our premium spaces were packed. Uh, it's a great experience in there, uh, and, and so uh, it, it's cash flowing as good as it can right now, which is which is a good positive. 
Zach on Facebook says, "What?" And we were talking about this during the break. What can be do? Or what can we do to fill the purple chair back seats in Minji's? Uh, he says, "If season ticket holders are not showing up, can we figure out a way for those tickets to be available?" He says, "I do love the look of the new seats. Great addition." And uh, is there a way to fill them? Which I know you guys are very happy with the addition of them. Yeah, there. It's been a little frustrating. We're actually sold out. Like all of them are sold, and so. Uh, we we are reaching back out to those people to let us know, hey, if you're not coming, if you'll give them back to us, we'll we'll try to find people, you know, to put in the seats. Uh, I'm very pleased with the way the seating and the lights turned out. I would eventually, uh, again, money's no object. I'd like to do chairback seating on the student side, uh, probably a little different, uh, but but similar. Uh, and, and hopefully one day we'll be able to do that from a funding standpoint. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We will answer any of, any final questions and wrap up the show. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday with John Gilbert. We'll see you after the break. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me what's happening. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in, Hoist the Colors. we got about five minutes left in the program with John Gilbert. He's been very gracious of his time to uh, stay with us the full hour. So if you've got any final questions on social media, hit us here on YouTube, Facebook. We'll try our best to get to them. And, uh, John, we were talking during the break about a lot of good stuff. And we'll see see what else we can talk about here. Uh, John Moody wants to know, is a date set for the pigskin pickout weekend? So he's already looking ahead. Do we have any idea on that off the top of your head? Uh, n- no date uh, that has been selected at this time, okay. at least that, that I'm not aware of. I, gotcha. I'm sure football is starting to look at the spring calendar now, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it and announce it relatively soon. Uh, Samurai says uh, the lack of concession stands at times has been an issue. Any plans to add more food vendors? I think you guys, at least from my vantage point, again, I'm not down there. Y'all dressed that pretty good this past football season. Like I didn't see and didn't hear many complaints. So that was an issue, what, for the state game in 22? Yes. We actually, I'm, I'm actually pleased with where we're headed with concessions. I felt like in football we, we did a really good job with it. Menji's is a challenge with concessions, but what we did uh, prior to this past football season, we were with Aramark, the campus side, and we changed and went to Aramark, the sports division. And so we actually met with them last week. The people that are managing all the sports venues are actually managing our property as well. And so We've done a lot of things to improve concessions. We can constantly get better. It's not perfect. Um, I but, know you were very frustrated at yeah, times yes. last year, though. So. I, I feel a lot better with the company we're with now uh, or the division we're with and their expertise working sporting events. Uh, WJ O'Connor on Facebook, he says, can you explain or shed any light on you know, basically the taking of non or partial qualifiers – in some conferences, as opposed to the American, like the American, from my understanding, doesn't allow like non qualifiers. So, are, yeah, are there other that, conferences that, that, that do? That really has changed. Like, you know, we will take schools will take them now. We take them. You know, they'll they'll take an academic red shirt. Okay. You know, meaning they can come in and and uh, um, go to 
you know, go to class, practice, but they're not playing in the games to kind of work through the academic piece. And uh, I'm, I'm not calling any names because I don't want anyone to know, but I, I think we might have a player that could be um, – Make make the field next year that that you know what was uh, not City playing now. this year. So I'm I'm encouraged about that. So that's basically a partial qualifier as opposed to like a, back in the day, ECU used to take a bunch of non qualifiers who yeah. couldn't practice yeah. at all. Yes, yes. So now you're in the the partial qualifier territory. Um, Alex says the atmosphere at Dottie Ficklin, especially for quote unquote Power Five games, he feels like. Or he's asking, does this deter some teams from wanting to do the home and home as well? Well, it it deters because historically, if if you know what you look at the teams that we've beaten here, uh, we should have beaten NC State two years ago. You, you know, we beat Carolina and hang a bunch of points on them. They're never coming back. Every every coach looks and sees that and goes, I, I'm not going to Greenville, North Carolina because. We have such a rich fan base, and these coaches know it'll be a really good atmosphere. We do not want to go there. It is very difficult. Got a couple minutes left. I wanted to ask you, too, about, and I asked you a little bit at uh, your your address about the Cam Hayes situation. Not only that specifically, but like this this whole waiver process. Like, Is that something that the NCAA eventually just says, all right, we're not allowing anybody to be a two-time transfer, and I've also seen some states are trying to make it so everybody can transfer. I, I think the door is going to swing open, and it's going to be unlimited at some point. And if you look at the NCA, should not be in a waiver business. You know, if you're if you're whatever the rules are, we should stick to those. But what's happened is we are in the or they are in the waiver business, and it's so haphazard of who gets a waiver and who doesn't and you you look at the situation at at North Carolina they went through all of that he plays in a partial part of the game and then declares to go pro I don't know what the amount of money is that they spent to get that but it was a lot of money and and so they're looking at all these things and going we're tired of getting beaten up. Anybody can transfer, and and I think it is going to, it, it is going to be a difficult day for college athletics because you're going to have to re-recruit your student athletes every year, and, and it it doesn't. I think a a college degree is extremely meaningful. Imagine you know you as a general student not going. Not playing a sport, but me telling you, hey, you're going to go to three different schools, and and you can pick any of those three. You would go, man, it's going to be hard for me to get a degree in what I want. I don't know if the hours will transfer. It, it's a difficult proposition, but I, I think based on the climate, I think we are headed down that path. College athletics just continues to get crazier and crazier. John, we appreciate the time today. As always, uh, very appreciative of, of your time. You know, you don't have to take the, the full hour, but you do anyway, so we appreciate it a lot. Yeah, happy to come on anytime. Go Pirates. John Gilbert, he's the athletic director at East Carolina University, and appreciate him once again. We'll get him back on once we turn the calendar to 2024 at some point we'll try to give him a little bit of downtime over the holidays all right we'll see you tomorrow we're going to have austin knight pitching coach for ecu baseball in studio until then this has been hoist the colors
This has been 